John 19 from verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Early on the first morning of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been moved from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she went over to the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why is it that you are crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to where my brothers go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven.
Thanks, Lindsay, for reading us. Let me lead us in a prayer. Father, I thank you for this account of that first Easter day. And we pray as you opened the eyes of those first disciples to, to see and believe, so you would open our eyes today to, to see the risen Lord, to believe in him, and to live in the light of his resurrection. Amen. Well, imagine you received a letter in the post, and it comes with a very official letterhead claiming to be from a top law firm in New York. And the letter says that a relative of yours, who you had no knowledge of, has recently died, and they have left their entire and sizable estate to you. And the letter asks you to please call the office of the law firm at your earliest convenience to arrange details of transfer of the assets into your bank account. Now, we live in an age of scams, don't we? And so you would be pretty skeptical about this letter, wouldn't you? I mean, how is it that you've never even heard of this relative? And why on earth would they leave their estates to you? That said, you'd probably give the law firm a call, wouldn't you? That the magnitude of what's on offer means it's at least worth investigating. You'd at least go online and kind of search some forums to see if this sort of letter and this law firm have been flagged as a scam. The resurrection of Jesus is like that. Many people are very skeptical about it. Many people think it's a scam. But the magnitude of what's on offer means you'd be crazy not to at least look into it. The offer of the resurrection it is really unlike any other religious offer. Other religions offer some sort of immaterial future, some kind of afterlife, but only the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Christianity offers you a new body to live in a renewed world made perfect in which we will live in the most fulfilling relationships with one another and with God. The offer is too great not to at least look into it. And add to that fact that billions of people around the world, and presumably a number of people who you know and respect, would say that they've looked into it already and have found that not only does it stand up to intellectual scrutiny, but it's proved to be experientially fulfilling in their lives. That's the testimony of the Nguyen family, isn't it? And it's the testimony of many others. So I've got two aims for this Easter morning. That we'll believe in the resurrection. That each one of us will believe that Jesus really, truly, wonderfully rose from the dead. And secondly, that we'll live in the light of the resurrection. That our lives will be shaped by this world-changing event. So firstly, the reasons for believing the resurrection. Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, defines religious faith like this. A persistently false belief in the face of strong contradictory evidence. A persistently false belief in the face of strong contradictory evidence. Now all I can say is Richard Dawkins can't have read John chapter 20. If you've got that chapter of the Bible open, um, that'll be helpful. We're going to work through that passage. But if you look to the end of the chapter, the author John helpfully gives his rationale for writing his gospel. 
He says in verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Can you see that John is not saying, I know there's no evidence, but if you switch your brain off, then you might be able to believe. No, John is saying, the whole reason I've written my gospel is to set out the evidence, to tell you about what happened, so you'll have good reason to believe. The first disciples came to believe in the resurrection because they were persuaded by the evidence that they encountered on that first Easter day. And over the years and centuries since, millions upon millions of people have similarly been persuaded by the evidence and have come to believe. So have a look again at verse 1 of chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That's John's way of talking about himself. She goes, she finds Peter and John, and she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So, verse 3, Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Notice the detail. It, It reads like the account of someone who was actually there, doesn't it? John hesitates. Peter characteristically barges in, verse 6. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. John and Peter woke up that morning sad because their friend and leader was dead. But they saw and believed. They saw the evidence and believed. Now when it says that Peter saw the strips of linen and the headcloth, that the word for saw here is, is the Greek word theoreo, uh, from which we get the word theorize. It means not just to look at, but to look at attentively, to look at thoughtfully, to consider, to discern The disciples here are looking at the evidence that they find, an empty tomb, linen cloths, and they're trying to work out what's going on. The tomb is empty, the body is gone, but the linen strips are still there. They're thinking it through. If grave robbers had taken the body, why on earth would they have unwrapped it first and left the only thing worth anything? If disciples had taken the body, why would they have dishonored Jesus by removing the strips and taking his body naked? And, you know, those spice-laden cloths were the only thing keeping his body from stinking. Peter and John, they're thinking about it. They're looking into the evidence that they needed persuading. And that's important to realize because many people think that if you're a Christian, you just decide, I'm going to believe, I'm going to take a leap of faith. But that's not true, at least not usually. Did you hear Trang earlier? It took years of questioning and exploring and wrestling. If you're going to have a faith that will endure, 
It's got to have a solid foundation. You've got to know why you believe if you're going to weather the trials and doubts that will come. Some say the disciples were so desperate to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead that they kind of persuaded themselves that it had happened. But that doesn't fit at all either, does it? Mary doesn't come to the tomb expecting to find uh, Jesus alive. She's expecting to find a dead body. Even when she sees the tomb is empty, she doesn't conclude that he's risen from the dead. No, she concludes they've, someone's taken the body away. Even her immediate response on seeing the risen Jesus is some other explanation. Must be the gardener. Mary needed to be persuaded by the evidence. And the presence of Mary in this account is itself a strong piece of supporting evidence. You see, in the first century, women were so undervalued, they were not considered to be credible witnesses in a court case. Celsus, the Greek philosopher in the second century, uh, was a great opponent of Christianity. And one of his lines of attack was Mary Magdalene. He said, and I quote, How can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a hysterical woman? Not very PC. But in those days, that was kind of assumed. For Celsus, the presence of a woman as the first eyewitness to the resurrection undermined the credibility of the claim. Now, can you see that today, the presence of a woman supports the credibility of the claim? Because... If you were making this story up, there's no way in the world that you would make a woman and a a woman with a disreputable past the first eyewitness to the resurrection. The fact that all four Gospels claim that women were the first witnesses to the resurrection strongly supports the truth of the claim. See, friends, believing in the resurrection As much as Richard Dawkins might claim, it's not the same as believing in the Tooth Fairy or the Easter Bunny. John's account is of cold, hard evidence breaking into the lives of depressed and fearful disciples and changing them forever. It's about real people seeing real evidence and coming to believe what had really happened. And so if you do bump into Richard Dawkins, it's worth asking him, I know you don't believe the resurrection, But what is your explanation for the facts? Clearly Jesus existed. Clearly he was crucified and died. Clearly his followers, people of integrity, claimed to have seen him alive and they were executed for that that claim. Clearly the tomb was empty, otherwise the body would have been produced to refute their claims. Richard, what is your explanation for those facts? And if he rejects the evidence out of hand without engaging with it, well, you should tell him that you admire his faith because it will be him, not you, persisting in an irrational belief in the face of strong contradictory evidence. Let me say, if you're someone who is skeptical about the resurrection, I've taken 10 minutes to lay some some out. Maybe you're still skeptical. Will you take the time? to read John's Gospel. I've got a few copies. I'd love to give you one to take away for free. Or or if you're willing, I'd love to meet up with you and read it together. It claims to be an eyewitness account. It'll only take you a couple of hours to read. You owe it to yourself 
to at least look into things. There's also copies of a book on the table there called A Case for Easter. Uh, a journalist goes through the evidence for the resurrection. Yeah, uh, that's our gift to you. So that's the reasons for believing in the resurrection, and there's plenty more. Secondly, the results of believing in the resurrection. Two pairs of results, peace and joy, purpose and power. Peace and joy. Look again at verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. Now, peace be with you was a common greeting, but I think there's more significance in what Jesus says. Twice, he greets them, Peace be with you. It's a declaration of the peace with God that's now possible. That's why Jesus shows them his, his hands and his side. He's saying, my death that you thought was a failure, it was actually a victory. Through my death and resurrection, I have conquered death and defeated sin. The, the sins that separate you from God, they're dealt with, they're paid for, it's finished. Now you can have life, you can have peace with God's. Let me tell you a story to illustrate this. In a, a village in the hills of Austria, uh, a bear comes into the village and starts terrorizing the villagers. And he's not just killing sheep. He start, th this isn't a true story. You don't need to be scared. Uh, he starts attacking and killing villagers. The bear lives in a cave uh, up in the woods. And none of the villagers were strong enough to to defeat the bear. Every time someone entered the cave of death, hours would pass, but always, eventually, the bear would come out, carrying the dead body of whoever had gone in. It was a cave of death. But then a figure, a stranger, comes into the village, and he hears about their plight, and he says, I'll fight the bear. And so the villagers watch as he walks up and into the cave of death. They wait and they assume that he too has become a victim of the bear. But then a figure appears at the entrance to the cave and it's not the bear. It's the man dragging the body of the dead bear out. And so the villagers know that they need no longer fear their enemy, the bear. They can once again live in peace. It's a quaint story, but it helps us understand something ab about the resurrection. Because on the cross, Jesus took on our great enemies of sin and death and the devil. And on the cross, he defeated them. He cried out, it is finished. The victory was won on Good Friday, but it was only on Easter Sunday as Jesus walked out of the tomb and appeared to his disciples that they could know it. On Good Friday, it looked as though Jesus had been defeated. On Easter Sunday, it became clear Jesus had defeated death. And so for Mary and the other disciples, their tears are turned to joy. When Jesus declares peace, he's saying there's no more barrier between you and God. You can live in a relationship of peace. Peace. 
but peace in the Bible is more than what we think of when we use that word. It's more than just the absence of conflicts. The, the Bible word is shalom. And that word means fullness and blessing and joy. When Jesus says, peace be with you, he's, he's saying you can enjoy fullness of life, life as it's meant to be. Look again at verse 17. Jesus says to Mary, go to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. That's amazing. Jesus is saying the relationship that he had with his father is one that we can now have with God too. Just think about it. The relationship Jesus had with his father, it was a relationship of the deepest love and delight. I guess we all know that it's relationships that make life worth living. And I guess we've all tasted something of the richness of relationship, whether it's with a friend or a partner, a parent or a child. But we also know the pain of relationship, don't we? Often the people we hurt are the ones we love most. Well, imagine two people who love each other perfectly. Two people who have no selfishness, no shame, no fear, no insecurity. Imagine the intensity of the joy that they would experience in their relationship. That is the kind of relationship that Jesus enjoyed with his father, and that is the kind of relationship that he invites us into. Now, of course, we bring our imperfection into that relationship, our shame, our fear, our insecurities. But despite our imperfections, we can know the perfect love of the Father. We can know that the Father loves us with the same love he has for Jesus. Living in the light of the resurrection means to experience the benefit of this truth and to enjoy it. And when we sin and fail and doubt as we will, to come again and believe again that through his death and resurrection, Jesus has achieved perfect peace with God. Peace and joy. Secondly, purpose and power, very briefly. Verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. All four Gospels end with some kind of commissioning. Jesus sending his disciples out with a purpose to proclaim the good news to the world. Go, says Jesus, and tell people about me. Tell them about my death and resurrection. Tell them about the peace that I've achieved. And as we go, sent by Jesus into the world, he promises his spirit to empower and enable us. It's the Spirit who makes the truths about Jesus real to us. It's the Spirit who assures us of peace and renews our joy. And it's the Spirit who gives us the courage we need to proclaim this good news to the world. So this Easter morning, if you're a believing person, will you pray again for the help of the Spirit? Will you ask him? to help you believe. Ask for his help to experience more deeply the peace and joy of the resurrection. Ask for his help to share this good news. Living in the light of the resurrection means knowing that Jesus is alive today. 
He still offers to you and to the world the peace and joy and forgiveness that he achieved. He's still sending us out with a purpose and he's still giving us the power to achieve it. Friends, believe it. There's good reason to believe it and to live in the light of it. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you don't call us to a blind faith. Thank you that the Christian faith is founded on the historical events of Jesus, his life and death and resurrection. Help us, we pray, to believe. May the resurrection become a rock-solid reality in our lives. And help us to live in the light of it, rejoicing in the perfect peace that we have with you and living with the purpose of making this good news known to all. Send us out afresh this day and empower us by your spirits to, to declare that Jesus is risen from the dead. Amen. Christ is risen. Alleluia. He is risen indeed. Alleluia.